Hi, thanks for joining us for Indestructible. I'm Mary Swan, Artistic Director of Proteus and Director of the show Indestructible. And my guest for this edition is Sam Pine, designer for theatre, television, community projects. She's the set and costume designer for Indestructible and we've had a creative partnership as director and designer on over 20 shows. Sam's joined me today to talk about her career path and what the job of designer really entails. Hello, Sam. Hi, Mary. Hi. <laughs> oh, nice to see you. Nice to see you. So, yeah, I just wanted to um, really ask you about, because I've never really spoken to you about this, about your kind of career path and, and how you've ended up doing what you do now. When I was at school, I always really liked fashion and things like that because I was lucky enough to live in Paris, which was rather nice, <laughs> as you know, rather mm. nice there. And uh, we went to a few fancy fashion shows there and they were pretty amazing. So that's where my love of clothes and things came from, I guess. And then I ended up doing a B-Tech in fashion and textiles in Canterbury College of Art many years ago now. Two lovely years in Canterbury. That was great fun learning all about fashion and textiles and everything and then I went on to do a degree again in fashion and textiles but in Bristol this time which is where I've stayed still here and uh, a lot of my teachers used to say how uh, someone would never wear that it's too theatrical <laughs> so uh, so I sort of thought oh you know I don't know and I had a, a boyfriend at the time and he, he sort of said oh there's this really good course at the Bristol Albic Theatre School in theatre design and so I thought oh yeah, be quite interesting. So I went along there and had a chat to the um, course leader, and I thought, oh, you know, I'd quite like to do this, and got accepted onto the course. And so that's my journey into doing theatre design. And we put on shows there, and they had the actors there, and then they had stage management, lighting, sound, and there's a course there that makes the costumes. So you design the costumes, and they get made, and the sets. They had a carpentry department and they made the sets there as well. So, yeah, it was all brilliant. And they're just on from there, started doing freelance. So working now for quite a few years now. We're pretty ancient now. So, <laughs> but yeah, done many things, as you know. And uh, lucky enough to work very. Yeah, no, and, and, and has it been, in terms of getting those early gigs, because you were working, when we started working together, you'd done a fair few shows by then, hadn't you? We'd done a, we'd done a few things before then, but I'm just intrigued as to how those those first gigs came about, because I think anyone thinking around a career as a designer, set and costume designer, it's like, how do you, how do you even start to get people to approach you to work, and how does that happen? I think that's the most difficult thing. I think the thing to be, what I've always found, is to be very friendly with everybody because you never know when you're going to get a job or someone will, you know, often you get your best jobs from someone that couldn't do the job in the first place. Then they sort of say, oh, do you fancy doing this? Because I can't do this. And uh, when I first started working for Proteus, I know a friend of mine couldn't do one of the shows and suggested me to do it. So, yeah. But this is what's really interesting, is it? Because actually you worked for Proteus before I ran the company. Yeah. Because you and I met when uh, when I was working for um, Solent People's Theatre down in Southampton, which sadly doesn't exist as a theatre company anymore, um, similar touring theatre. But but Proteus, people may not realise, is a company that's been in existence for over 40 years and so has had many, many artistic directors coming through. Um, so it's that weird thing, isn't it, that you work for them first? Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, because when Mark, before Mary came, we were quite good friends and he was leaving and he was asking if he knew anybody. I said, well, you know, there's this really talented, talented director, <laughs> Mary Swan. Oh, bless so, you. Yeah. Bless you. It's amazing. You know, sometimes you just get lucky. But I mean, the, when I first started out, I did have to do quite a few things that I didn't get paid for just to build your portfolio up. Everything you do is great experience. It doesn't matter really what it is. The funniest things can come from the funniest places. I've worked in banana factories and all sorts of crazy things. And, you, you know, <laughs> you meet some interesting people or something could influence you down the line. The banana factory I used to work in is now Aldman Animation. So, you know, it's all, it's all comes around. <laughs> and you, you work, you do some work for Bristol Vic Theatre School, don't you? Do you see that the industry has changed a lot or do you feel like it's still the same pathways coming in or do you think it's harder or are there more routes in? I don't know because... Yeah, as you say, I'm doing, um, yeah, working with them at the moment doing their Christmas show in Nativity. It's quite nice to be back there again because I last time I designed the Nativity film was like 20 years ago or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's a similar script, really. A lot of it is the same, uh, coming back to the same place. The only thing that's changed, really, is a lot of people order things from Google and, you know... <laughs> online and stuff rather than we used to have to trawl around charity shops and things to get things for the show and stuff but with theatre it does tend to stay fairly consistent really because at the end of the day you're trying to entertain people and it's quite using your hands all the time uh, making things rather than a video say the theatre school now do do a whole course in video and film production so that has changed there got a lot more technical you've done a fair few films and design for film and television haven't you as well yeah i've, I've done a bit of casualty and things i think everybody has <laughs> yeah but you also worked with edgar wright didn't you Oh, I did, yes. Yeah, his first feature film. Yeah, many years ago, yeah. He put on this crazy spaghetti western thing. Yeah, I sort of designed the costumes for it down in, uh, in Wells. It was filmed all around there in the valley and various shops and funny places. Yeah, it was great, actually. Jeremy Beadle was in it. And oh, my God. <laughs> I remember I had him in my little Renault 5 car at the time. And uh, my other halves and accountant, he was going, oh, I don't think you're insured to have him in your car. <laughs> and it was very funny. We got him dressed up as a policeman in um, a friend's house, I think. It, yeah, it was all very funny. But yeah, it was great. He's a really nice chap, Edgar. So it, was a, oh. it was a privilege to work with him when he was a young, you know, inspiring director and everything. So do you think coming the fashion route, fashion and textiles route, as opposed to doing a set costume course, was that quite a big leap then to start working for film rather than theatre? Yeah, I mean, I think with film, it's not so bad because you either do set or you do costume. The two get split up, whereas in theatre, you well, you can do both. In the bigger productions, they tend to have a separate costume designer and a set designer. But in TV, yeah, it's quite separated, really. There is a, an overall artistic director who looks over the whole thing and has overview of it but then it is very much two sides they meet in meetings but <laughs> that sort of thing so yeah yeah I suppose it's slightly different in terms of exactly what the costumes are because I know 
that we, when we're making stuff for theatre, the costumes and set and things like that, we can do a, quite a lot of smoke and mirrors, can't we, with what's there and but I guess with film it's all got to be they're going to be able to see that that button is the wrong period on that coat you know whereas yeah exactly I think there's a whole group of people that just enjoy watching films look at the mistakes that they've made in them and things and <laughs> sort of write into <laughs> it's a, a fun thing to do <laughs> but particularly with the lighting and things and the close-ups and stuff you have to be pretty accurate with that sort of thing where yeah Theatre is a lot more, um, it doesn't have to be specifically of the period. It's almost you get the mood of it or flavour of the period if you want to go down that route. It's quite nice and flexible, really. It can, it can be a bit more fun, really. <laughs> yeah, and the other end of that, though, is there are different challenges with theatre sets because you have to fit into demanding directors. <laughs> But also writers, because sometimes the script can be very specific about what a set looks like before you even get to costume or what that needs to do. For an actor, you and I have worked on some work that's involved circus performers, aerial circus trapezes and silks and things like that, and, and incorporating that into a set. That's a really different thing, isn't it? When you start thinking about a set for a show and there are specifics how do you work that into a concept because it always amazes me <laughs> <laughs> you come up with all the clever ideas Mary mm -mm, it's just, mm -mm. <laughs> no no particularly with um aerial and things like that I mean you have to be guided a little bit by the performers because they know their bodies and don't know what they can do so um you know particularly with something's got to be a certain height uh, clear so they don't bang into anything or health and safety things quite important but also getting the look and do you want to make them be uncomfortable so they have to have the appropriate footwear and you have to do quite a lot of research into underwear even you know it's all <laughs> down to what exactly they can do because you don't want the ropes rubbing in certain places their hands got to watch out that they don't hurt the hands and yeah The Indestructible podcast was produced for Proteus Theatre by the brilliant team at Creative Kin. Getting the right people behind your podcast is so important and Creative Kin were a great choice to make our show. If you're an ambitious brand keen to expand your reach, go to creativekin.co.uk forward slash launch to find out how you can reach a new audience. What's been the biggest headaches what's been the biggest challenges on shows that you've worked on and it can it certainly can be ours because I know there's been a few <laughs> I've had a few a few challenges over the years Mary you know um well we did have a bit of a problem with the handstand stools didn't we those um oh yeah the handstand blocks yeah, yeah handstand blocks and wobbly tables and <laughs> dear, is the performer going to be all right are they going to fall off the table you know and they're up in the air doing these amazing things and the last thing you want is a wobbly table or the ground to be uneven <laughs> and you feel like huge responsibility you know like what, what if she fell off it's all my fault <laughs> it's my wobbly table that was on Bloody Chamber, wasn't it? And the issue there is that Sam had designed and we'd made a set that had this table in it that was perfectly stable in the rehearsal room and in most of the theatres we went into. But, of course, you're going into, especially this show was touring into beautiful old theatres like Harrogate and other places like that. And 
when you're on an older stage, they're not level. So the amount of like little bits of cardboard and things, I mean, it's amazing the lengths we end up going to to make things work. I remember once we had, um, was it The Little Mermaid we did? And I remember doing a black, really quite nice mermaid costume and uh, this sort of frantic phone call about they put it in the wash with all of the other... like the washing machine no don't put it in a washing machine I think yeah. all of the uh, the colour died onto all of the other costumes yeah. it's like oh no nightmare. it was the very grey mermaid wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> yeah oopsie daisy and with touring because you work a lot in touring as well as you've done quite a few outdoor shows as well haven't you and that yeah how do you design a set that's going to go into different places? What are the things you need to think about from that perspective? How do you make that work? I think you start off with the the door size that you can get the set into. (laughs) (laughs) Can you get it through a door? What is the smallest area you can get something through? Then obviously you have to break down the set for that. Um, Again, another thing is the weight of the set. We had... um, some problems with the van got stopped on the motorway and weighed. You have to be careful that it's not going to be too heavy in the van. So that's another thing. Well, obviously fitting in the van. So you need the set pieces to be small enough to fit through the door in the van, to store in the van and those sorts of things. And then being able to build up to the height of the theatre. So that you look at the minimum height you can have. And then sometimes we can expand the set a little bit if it's a bit wider or something. So it's nice to have something that you can just add a little bit onto the set to make it a little bit more, you know, fill the space a bit better if if it allows. (laughs) And again, with the height as well, it's quite nice to, you make it as high as you can. It always looks good if it's a bit higher, just to fill the space. And sight lines are, again, very important. (laughs) You do want a a marvellous show, but half of the audience can't actually see it, unfortunately, you know, so... Those are a few little things you have to take into consideration. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially if you're touring into non-theatre spaces, as we've done and you've done with other companies in your career, you know, and we have taken a chainsaw to a bit of set before to get it into a venue. Always bring gaffer tape. <laughs> gaffer tape, jigsaw, or saw. Yeah. Screwdriver. Yeah. yeah, you're sorted, but the adventures of theatre. And pot of paint always helps as well. Definitely. <laughs> Another important thing, Febreze. <laughs> All the costumes. <laughs> ah, those marvellous costumes you can't wash. <laughs> but you've also done a lot of work as a theatre designer in areas that people might not have expected in terms of working directly in the community. So there's a company in Bristol you work with called Actor. And I just wanted you to talk a little bit about that and how you work as a designer with people who aren't actors, but it's not strictly amateur theatre, is it? Because they're devising, they're making work in slightly different ways, aren't they? Actors, great. They try and work with a really broad set of communities. So we work with young carers, adults of learning difficulties. We work with young children who have disabilities, all all sorts of disabilities in their lives. Some of the uh, rehearsals have to be on Zoom because they can't get away from home. They facilitate taxis to bring people in. So they could be all around, because I live in Bristol, all around Bristol. Nobody's excluded and it's all free 
to join and things. Sometimes you obviously have to meet the criteria of, of whatever project we're doing and things. But yeah, it's hopefully engaging the whole community. We work with the lovely Malcolm X elders, who are an amazing group of older ladies who came over from the Windrush and. Uh, a joy to be with. As soon as you see them, you just want to smile and hug them because they're just all lovely. <laughs> <laughs> but they're uh, they're little tinkers with their costumes though, because they steal each other's costumes. <laughs> <laughs> but they're an absolute joy to work with, and uh, I love them all. <laughs> it's amazing, and they most of the shows. Well, I say all of the shows really are devised by um, ideas they come up with. Some kind of crazy, but we like that. The crazier, the better. <laughs> And uh, particularly the Malcolm X elders, often it's memories of when they were little girls and things and funny stories that their parents told them. They'll dress up as little girls with little hats on and little pigtails. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, so Amazing. funny. And uh, lovely. It's great. I'll just tell you a little story. I was in the shop the other day and I had this tap on my shoulder and I turned around and there was this handsome young man and he went hello are you you Sam from actor and I said yes and he used to perform as a little boy now he was grown up he was expecting a baby and he's a policeman and he was a had a few problems when he a youngster and he came and performed with actor and uh, he said it really made him and it gave him confidence it's amazing what theatre can do and it brought a big smile to my face you know he loved his costume and he remembered me and I, I thought that was so nice that's really nice isn't it because we were saying earlier about in a different episode around what success looks like and the way that a lot of people think we judge success in this industry is by what famous theatres you're in. And to a certain extent, that's true. But really, actually, at the end of the day, when it all comes down to it, it's moments like that, isn't it? It's where, where you actually have an effect on someone's life. And that is so extraordinary. It's such a privilege, isn't it? When you meet those people later and they go, that changed me. It's just a lovely thing. Yeah. I did uh, work with Watermill Theatre and we did a, a community show and I worked with a couple of young people and we made all the costumes and things. It was quite an epic thing. I think it was about 80 performers in it, loads of them. And I worked with these two young people and they'd never done costume before and we did a bit of dyeing, we did a bit of making, uh, we sourced costumes and we distressed them, all sorts of things. And uh, after that, I found out both of them had gone in to do a costume. One had gone off to do a degree in costume. The other one was heading off to work in a fabric shop and things. So it was amazing to feel that you'd actually influenced people's lives because they just enjoyed it so much and they were regularly volunteering at the theatre as well. So, yeah, yeah, all good, really nice. And what would you say to... Young Sam Pine, <laughs> just coming into the industry, what would be your advice to her, knowing what you know now? Stick at it. <laughs> Try and have confidence in what you do, I guess. Uh, we need happy times are ahead because it's such a lovely thing to be involved in theatre, to do a drawing and then to have it made into a costume that you see on the stage. I mean, there's nothing better. A little prop or a little puppet that goes off, and it's a, yeah, amazing to see. Oh, <laughs> ah, come on, younger Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Things may get you down, but you know. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I think that's sort of what we've all said so far. Kind of everyone I've spoken to so far on the podcast and asked that question to is that thing of 
stick with it because it's worth it. Because I think that is the other thing is that the industry is, it is hard, isn't it? It is tough. There are very difficult times and it's being prepared for that. From your perspective around, as you say, working in the community and working outside of directly working in theatre as well. Are there any other things that you've done that haven't been maybe strictly stage shows or strictly film where you've been commissioned to do something or...? Yeah, I mean, um, I did all sorts of things. I used to run giant lantern parades where I'd work with schools and we produced hundreds of lanterns for parades in Beaconsfield and for the Jubilee I did... um, 1950s room for a museum that was great fun sourcing all the props and things for that because I love the 1950s so (laughs) (laughs) I've done murals I've done panto cows so you could do dressing you know for television there is a massive industry out there of lots of different arts things that you can go towards if you enjoy doing it I did a bit of running for film and things and then you know, as long as you start doing that sort of thing, people approach you and say, would oh, you fancy doing this? So I don't think there's any job that's not relevant if you get your foot in there and people like you and you're a kind person. <laughs> you get on with people, you know. What does being a runner on a film entail? I've never completely understood what that role is. Mostly making tea <laughs> or running around doing anything, really going to get gaffer or going to find the actors or an actor's forgotten issue or it can be anything (laughs) can you go run out and get such and such a paint or it can be anything all good fun oh brilliant yeah it's just nice to be part of the arts industry really it's a great industry to be in it's getting more and more difficult to get earn a living (laughs) in the industry unfortunately because you do a bit of teaching as well for Bristol Vic, don't you, on, on occasion? And I mean, I think one of the things that's come out of all these conversations where we've been talking about people's career paths is essentially all of us really have not just one skill in the box, that actually we can all run workshops, we've all done different jobs. Do you think younger people need to be quite diverse in this? Do you think that's a help if they can diversify their skill base? Yeah, I think it's really good to have something to fall back on, isn't it? Particularly to have a job that can earn you some money while you're doing a bit of art as well. Everything's so expensive, isn't it? Rents and mortgages and everything's craziness. So I think you have to be able to be quite flexible with things. I mean, learn to be a barista, anything, makeup, people do makeup on telly and things in your little repertoire you can pull out and you're able to be a little bit more diverse in various areas. It can all be really helpful. I mean, I looked after a young man with learning disabilities for one day a week, and it was great. It just I've got a friend who she's a ceramist, ceramicist, and she does very well. But she also looks after a young lady with learning difficulties, and that pays her mortgage and just two days a week. And then the rest of the week, she works on her own stuff. So I think sometimes mm. you've just got to um, you've got to do it. Unfortunately, very sad, but. <laughs> Yeah, yes and no, because I think also somehow I think that probably all feeds in, doesn't it? Your job jobs, they can feed into your practice, can't they? Because, you know, if I ask you to create a look for a character, if you've encountered that person, you're able to bring to that an authenticity in terms of how they look. Same for the actors, of course, you know, so the more life, the better. Exactly. I think you've just got to get out there, get out of your room, because there's a big world out there and there's so many 
fun jobs of people and a friend who worked in the post office at Christmas time packing and he wrote a script from working in the packing office because of the funny tales they tell. And they're working in the banana factory. I mean, the hilarious things that we got up to in the banana factory. It was just a summer job, but, you know, oh dear, you can imagine with bananas. I don't know. Let's not go there. <laughs> yeah. So there's a, a last question, which you may or may not have something for me. I've been asking everyone to come up with, because Indestructible, the show, the initial impetus for me to make the show was because I had long been in love with Lee Miller as a photographer and as an artist and just felt like not enough people knew about her. That is changing and in the intervening years that has changed. Obviously the show evolved into being something quite different, but it all came from that idea, that slight irritation that not enough people knew about her. Is there anyone, any female artist that you feel that you would like more people to know about. She's laughing because she's... She's gone blank. Her brain doesn't work anymore. My friend will kill me because obviously I went to art college and I used to be very good friends with many artists. <laughs> so I could say about a friend that I went to art college with, Debbie Pye. She was amazing. She produced the most beautiful paintings. She was sad enough to use me as a model a few times. So I probably got downgraded her marks a bit. She tried to make a go of it as an artist but again it is so very difficult to do that um she diversified into doing art therapy working with people who you know needed a bit of help and they found that you know working with art and painting and things really um helped the way they felt and brought a positive attitude into their lives and she went that way instead of doing her own paintings in the end but she still is lovely and brilliant. And uh, Debbie Pye, we salute you. That's brilliant. Well, it's been lovely chatting with you, Sam. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. Bye, Mary. <laughs> That's it for this edition of Indestructible the Podcast. I'm Mary Swan, Artistic Director of Proteus. Thanks again for joining us. I look forward to your company next time. If you like what you've heard, please share, subscribe, leave a five-star review. It really helps us reach other listeners. Thanks for coming with us on this journey. You can listen to this podcast anytime, anywhere you get your podcasts.